Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Let's pray. Father, thank you again that we have this privilege, this call to worship and to yield ourselves to you. Help us that we would set aside passions of our flesh and that which would distract us. Help us to worship you in your word by your spirit and to respond rightly to what you've recorded for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was in college, there were numerous reminders of the importance of investing in retirement at an early age. Um, They would run scenarios of those who would invest $2,000 per year from ages 22 to age 30, uh, and they would demonstrate the significant uh, retirement savings that that would provide. Uh, They were demonstrating the, the power of compound interest. Well, when my wife and I were younger, and we were double income, no kids, also known as dinks, we were in a position to invest some money at that point, but then along came kids and life and a change in income level. And There's no way to make up later in life for missing out on opportunities for investing earlier in life. Solomon is going to utilize some of these types of principles in this last section for our good. He's going to call us to make the wisest investment. Now, he uses common illustrations about investment and work. But in this section, it is more allegorical what he's bringing to our attention than simply giving us wise principles to live by in the workforce. He's given us many of those, both in Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes. But here it is not so much that he is giving us wise investment strategies in the world, so much as wise investment strategies for the kingdom of God. He is drawing this work to a conclusion. He's already told us so many truths about endeavors that we seek after in life and how they all fall far short of fulfilling what they promise, whether it be wine, food, material possessions, women, uh, friends, nothing meets the standard of the pleasures that come from a true enduring relationship with God. Throughout this section, he will reiterate one of the concepts that has come out throughout the book, and that is that life is filled with uncertainty. Life is filled with uncertainty. Let's take a quick survey over this little section, seeing those elements, just some snippets of these verses that Solomon is bringing to our attention. First of all, verse 2. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. 
Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. So he's talking about something that happens. We don't have control over it. Verse 8 now. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. That's contrasting the light of verse 7. He says light is sweet. It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Rejoice in all of these days that you're given, but remember that there will be many days that are filled with darkness. Then he concludes verse 8 with this statement. All that comes is vanity. Now if you're not careful and you interpret vanity to mean meaninglessness, I think you're going to miss a lot of Solomon's teaching. It's not meaningless. It's temporary. It's transient. It's, I can't quite get my hands on it. Oh, there's a pleasant day, there's a pleasant day, but soon enough it's gone and there's a day of darkness. It's transient. Verse 10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. They are hard to hold on to. You can't know when they will disappear. He's talking about the uncertainties of life and how you can't hang on to the good times. Chapter 12 and verse 1, remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before what? The evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And then verse 8 of the same chapter, vanity of vanity says the preacher, all is vanity. The good times come and the good times go. Intermittently, there can be pain, evil, and distress. So as we look now at this section in a little bit more holistic uh, way, rather than just picking out those portions, we would recognize this. While we have opportunity... Solomon encourages us with a wise way to live. While we have opportunity, Solomon encourages us with a wise way to live or a wise use of life. And the way that we can see this in verses 1 through 6, he's going to call us to invest our lives. Invest your life. In chapter 11, verses 7 through 10, he is going to give us this call. Enjoy your life. And then in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, which we will touch on this morning and then continue next week, submit your life. Invest your life, enjoy your life, submit your life. And so first of all, invest your life. Verses 1 through 6, we read it already, we'll read it again now. Verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it. After many days, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way, the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a child, of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God." who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. And at evening, withhold not your hand. 
for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. In verse 1, Solomon uses imagery that is both illustrative and confounding. Cast your bread on the waters or upon the waters, for you will find it, bread, after many days. Cast your bread on the waters. What would happen, my friend, if you baked a fresh loaf of bread and threw it in a pond? Would you get any fruit out of that? Instead of finding it after many days, what you'll find is it will saturate and be destroyed. He is speaking here most likely of sending out your goods on a ship and waiting for that ship to come back in, hopeful that the goods that you sent forth come back with a product, a profit. Cast your bread, your hard work, earned living on the waters, and hopefully when it comes back, when the ship comes back, there'll be something to show for it. Notice that there is risk. You send it off, and you hope that the return is profitable. He broadens on this a little bit in verse 2. He speaks in verse 2 about diversifying our investments. In other words, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. So if we're using an investment strategy, and we say, okay, I'm putting all of my all of my stock buying into Enron. This is going to be good. I know that this is going to bring me some bread. It's going to come back my way. And guess what? It went out. The ship came back barren, empty, nothing to give you. You, you put all your eggs in one basket and nothing came back. Instead, give it to seven or eight. Seven is the number of perfection. Eight is in overflow. Find eight different ways to invest. Invest in this, that, and the other thing. You don't know which disaster is going to come, but if you have your investment spread out over seven or eight areas, some of it is likely to come back and you'll be okay. Now, if we're only talking about investment, it sounds pretty good. It's called the diversified portfolio. It's not really the idea that he's giving us here, in, in, as I understand it. I understand he's telling us to invest our lives. Don't throw all your eggs into one basket. Invest your life in as many avenues of service to the Lord as you can. Some things that you try, they'll come back and it'll seem a little bit barren. It'll seem a little bit fruitless. You don't know what disaster may happen in that investment of your life. But invest in numerous ways to serve the Lord. And guess what? Something will come back with fruit. This is, this is what Jesus said. The sower went out to sow. And so we sowed some seed. Guess what? Some of that seed fell on hard soil. No product. Some of it fell in thorny soil. No product. Some of it fell in the stones. No product. But some of it fell on the good soil. And while you got nothing from the first three types of soil... What did God do with that last one? Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. A big return. 
Why? Because the Lord uses His Word. And the Lord uses our investment of our lives in His kingdom for His glory. Don't get stuck in a rut. Don't do just your thing. Diversify. Invest broadly, not narrowly. You don't know what endeavor will be profitable or disastrous. You don't know what disaster may happen on the, on the earth. Verse 2, verse 6, he says a very similar thing. In the morning sow your seed, at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So he tells us to invest ourselves broadly. It's so easy to talk about in sermon form. You're all rattling your heads. Oh, yes, that, that's correct. That's right. That's good. But when you invest yourself broadly, you spread yourself thin. There's no such thing as true service for the Lord that costs us nothing. It depletes. That's what sacrifice is. Serving the Lord is about giving something away. And so in these early verses of chapter 11... He's calling us to this. Invest yourself. Spread yourself. Spread yourself. Thin yourself out. Invest broadly in God's kingdom. It'll cost you something. But after many days, your ship will come in. God's ship will come in. Verse 3. You can't always plan for life's uncertainties. Verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain... They empty themselves on the earth. Can you make the clouds be full of water? Are there days you want the rain to come? There are days you want the rain to come, right? If you're planting a garden, you want the rain to come sometimes. If you're planting grass, you want the rain to come sometimes. You don't want to have to water it yourself every time. And if there's no rain that comes, guess what? There's going to be a water ban. You can't water it. You want the rain to come sometimes. You can't control whether it comes or whether it doesn't goes on a little further. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Can you predict with certainty when a tree will fall and where it will fall? You have thoughts. You look. It's bending this way. It's leaning this way. It's a little further today than it was yesterday. Perhaps tomorrow. But you don't know when the windstorm is going to come. And you don't know which way the wind will blow. I think it'll fall this way. I think my house will be safe. But I don't know. There's uncertainty. But when it does fall, this is great. I love this. There it lies. (laughs) Wow, you're profound, Solomon. You really put a lot of thought into that. It might fall to the south. It might fall to the north. But wherever it falls, there it lies. Here's the good news. Am I under it? Nope. (laughs) Nope, I'm not under it. I'm glad I wasn't under it. What was under it? Oh, I hope it wasn't my most valued possession. Oh, no. No, no, no. I invested it. Couldn't have fallen on there. But if you hold on to it, if you dig a a hole in the ground, put it in there for safekeeping, cover it up till the owner comes back, guess what? He's going to come back and he's going to say, hey, where's my stuff? He said, well, it's under the tree. Somehow I'm going to move that tree and I'm going to get to your product. And when I get to it, 
you're going to get exactly what was yours. Wait a second. What are you talking about? You're telling me you just buried what I gave you and did nothing with it? Isn't that the way that Jesus talks about that? Just be glad your most valued possession isn't under the tree if you invested it. If you didn't invest it, it might very well be under the tree. And then what do you have? Your most valued possession in the dirt, inaccessible and unused. Verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. If you wait to invest your energies until everything is just right, you won't do it. So he talks about the wind. Oh, it's too windy. I remember we had a garden back here until our neighbors told us that they were going to put up a fence. They lied. Nonetheless, we had a garden back there, and I remember we, we, we prepped it. We, we built you know wooden structures around it. We put good loom or loam, depending on how you want to pronounce it, in there, and, and we, we made sure it was all ready to go, and we planted some, some cucumbers and su some zucchinis and some other things, and then it was time for the carrots. And the carrot seeds, we messed with carrot seeds. They are so small and light. On a windy day, when you go to sow it in the ground, and, and that was the case. We, we missed out on some of our carrots because some of it blew away. We covered it over with some plastic. That was the instruction we were given. And so we did that. And so we had some carrots, but not many. If you wait for just the right conditions, oh, the wind is just right, sometimes it's too late. Or if it's too stormy, there'll be a better time that I can collect my pro pro produce. One of the things that we... we planted was um, some kind of lettuce, butter lettuce, I don't remember what it's called, some lettuce. And every day if you go out and you take the lettuce off, it regrows until, you know, there's a certain duration of this. But if you let that thing on the plant too long, it will, something happens to it and, and you don't get any more. I don't know what all the technical stuff is, but if you wait too long to take the product off of it, you stop the process of regrowth. And we did that one time because we went away for a week. When we came back, the lettuce was, was overdone. And I don't know what you call it. I wish I should have looked this up. Amy, what is it called? No. Um, but there was no, no more lettuce. That was the end of it. You, you wait until it's too, too late. So stormy, windy. Don't do it on time. There's a problem. Brothers and sisters, there will always be challenges in your life. It's one thing or another. You know, you've all been doing this. You've been doing it most of you longer than I have been. I always think, all right, well, this season of life is busy with this and that. And then the next season will we'll bear a different product. And so it'll be easier to do this, that, or the other thing. And then you get to that one. It's like, oh, boy, this is really, this is really tight. This is, there's a lot going on here. The next season of life, it'll be different. Guess what? Everyone has its own unique challenges. Something new every time. And the way Solomon will talk about it in a little bit is, if, if you keep hoping for that clearing, your body's going to start giving out on you. And your mind might start giving out on you. And then what good is all your investment going to be at that point? If you wait until everything's just right, guess what? You're not going to do it. He's, he's bringing the hammer down with these images. And I think we all need to pay attention. 
This life is not about the things we can accumulate for ourselves, make ourselves comfortable, and do things as easily as possible. That is not what this life is for. This life right now is for investing in that which lasts forever, which means spreading ourselves out, thinning ourselves out, and doing it now. So the question is, brother, sister, friend, what are you doing right now? The Solomon, in one of his Proverbs, gave us this thought about how we make excuses. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. I'll never forget the day that I was laying in my bed. I don't sleep late very often, but one day I was laying in my bed and my wife said, hey, Rob, it's time to get up. I said, there's a lion in the street. (laughs) The Proverbs, even in my laziness, remind me of the, the right thing to do. Don't let life's uncertainties hold you back from investing yourself. Whose hands? Whose hands are you placing your life in? What is it exactly that you're investing in this scenario? It's your life. Whose life is it? Whose life is it? And, and I, beyond that, who cares the most about that life? Who cares the most about that life? So I ask you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Where will you get a better return on your investment than investing it with the Lord? There is no way you'll find a better return on investment than investing your life in the Lord. Number five, verse five. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Considering these uncertainties and this investment of our lives, who is it that controls the mysteries of life? Whatever we're trying to invest in, we must know that God superintends over every aspect of life. From conception to growth in the womb, from labor and delivery of a child, to, of course, the birth of a child, and then their subsequent birth, All of these things are in the hands of the Lord. And you know what else is in the hands of the Lord? The mystery not only of birth, but the mystery of the new birth. When will this person come? When when will God open their eyes to see that they're a creation of the Lord? When will this person come to see that as one of God's created ones, your life demonstrates that you're a sinner. That God the creator is also God the judge. And he will call you to account. When will God open their eyes to see that they're a sinner in need of repentance? When will God open a person's eyes and and inject into them illuminate their minds that they would see if they'll turn from their sin and turn to the Savior that they can have life and have it abundantly. Not just a temporal life, not just the good life of this earth, eternal life. When will God do it? We don't know. We don't know when there's going to be rain in the clouds, where the... the, tree's going to fall, when the tree's going to fall. We don't know how life comes into the child in a mother's womb, but we know it happens. Jesus used this illustration in John chapter 3, talking to Nicodemus. He said, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You don't know when the Lord is going to prosper your investment of life, service, and the gospel. But you can know this. He controls it. He is the author and finisher of our faith. This is a positive, positive call to investment that Solomon gives us. As we come to verse 6, let's see what it says. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. While we cannot control life, its mysteries, or its results, we can give ourselves to the responsibilities at hand or the call upon our lives. He uses this statement, in the morning and at evening. You could read this, from morning until evening. It could have the idea, and, and I think the way that's best for us understanding is, this is a good day's work. From morning till evening. If that were to transition to the stages of life, what might he be referring to? From the beginning of life until God causes the sun to set on you, sow your seed. From the beginning of life until God causes the sun to set on you, withhold not your hand. Invest now. Invest tomorrow. Invest until God takes you. The idea is that of a good day's work or a good life's work. In Psalm 104, 23, the phraseology is similar. He says, man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. You work until it's done. While there is time, let me ask you a question. How many days do you have left? Do you know? Does anyone know? No idea. You don't know. While there is time, use your life for the things that will not pass away. Do not invest in futile ventures, but in that which lasts in eternity. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Michael Eaton wrote, the wise man will invest everything he has in the life of faith. You think that Ecclesiastes is written by a pessimist? You're not reading Ecclesiastes correctly. Is there pessimism there? Sure. Sure, there's some. But that's not the tenor. If you understand Ecclesiastes as we've been studying it for these weeks and months, 
you're seeing that Solomon has been saying, I tried this, and I tried that, and I tried this, and there's no certainties in so much of life. And if you try to suck all you can out of those things, they will leave you high and dry. But there's something you can invest in that is worthwhile, that will never be taken from you, that lasts an eternity. Invest in knowing and loving and serving God. He doesn't say it explicitly. He says it implicitly time and time again. Paul says it this way in Galatians 6, 6 and following. Let the one who is taught in the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption. The one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing what? Good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. He said it this way in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. The point is this. You'll love it when someone says that. Here's the point. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I really, I listened to Philip Ryken's message on this text. And he made this statement and it was ringing in my ears. And then I was looking at his commentary, which was basically his sermon in writ. (laughs) And he made this statement that really sticks out. It may be true that, to paraphrase this passage, you never know. But it is equally true that you will never reap if you never sow. So work hard for the kingdom of God here. You'll never reap if you never sow. And Solomon is calling us to invest our lives for the glory of God and the growth of his kingdom. Verses 1 through 6. While there's time, while there's time, invest your life. But he doesn't stop there. He throws in some Solomon. Now, of course, this is the Spirit of God. So I'm not taking and saying, well, Solomon says this now. Solomon is demonstrating the same type of concept that the Spirit's been working through him all along. Invest your life, but while there's time, there's another part. Enjoy your life. It's not all fun and no play. There's plenty of time for play. There's plenty of time for joy. There's plenty of time for fun. And that's what he calls us to next. Verse 7, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Verse 7, there are plenty of happy experiences in life. You could say life is sweet and it is pleasant for the eye to see the sun. That's very, very plain. So think about all the pleasant things in life. The things that you've seen that are just, they bring joy and rejoicing to your, to your heart. You see, the birth of a child. 
You celebrate a birthday. You celebrate their milestones as they go from, from being kind of like a blob sitting there to like sitting up and then playing with toys around them. You put the pillows around so they don't whack their head on the ground. And you see them um, doing their pincher grass. You give them the, the Cheerios if you're not against grains. And, and they, they learn how to pinch stuff. And then sometimes they grab a whole thing and they put their fingers in the mouth. But then they start to learn to put one at a time. You, you see these maturations. And then, then they start to crawl. And you think, oh, that's really cool. My son did the army drag for a long time. And then he turned it into crawling. And then they, they finally stand up. And then they start walking. And then they start running and all bets are off after that. Celebrate graduations. All kinds of graduations. We celebrate, well, this is the K-4 graduation and this is the K-5 graduation. They graduated from first grade. They graduated from second grade. All these different things. Then there are weddings. Feasts. Vacations. There are mountaintops. Have you been at the top of a mountain? And looked, you see the glory of God strewn across the landscape? Have you seen the ocean waves rolling in? Have you seen the glories of the things that God has made? Have you driven through the side streets in the midst of the fall foliage and you see the glory of those colors that God has created for you? Have you looked into the sky to see the the trillions upon trillions and innumerable stars? Have you seen the, the moon just hanging there in space? It's incredible. There are plenty of joys to be had. Have you seen the sun rise and the sun set? Have you had a sweet kiss from your sweetheart? And an open mouth, drooly kiss from your baby. Oh, there's just bleh, all over you, but it's glorious. Light is pleasant to the eyes. It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. After days and days of rain, haven't the last few days been glorious to see the sun? There are so many joys in this life. Don't miss it. While you're investing your life, enjoy the journey. Take the scene in. Verse 8. So if a person lives many years. Well, well I've lived many years. Uh, probably not in some of your estimations. Right? 43 is not that many compared to some of you. You've lived many years many years. If you've lived many years, rejoice in them all. If you live many years, enjoy all the light and all the pleasantness. Enjoy it all as you're able to. For there will be plenty of dark, unpleasant days. Plenty of days where things don't go your way. Plenty of times you receive disappointing and even devastating news. There I was, eating breakfast with my wife, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, trying to have one of those nice days, and I got a phone call. Ugh. One you don't want to get. You've got to tell your mom that your brother's dead. Ooh, thanks. Couldn't you have done that? 
plenty of dark days, plenty of devastating phone calls, plenty of bad news, plenty of diagnoses that we don't like. Yeah. Enjoy all the days you can. There'll be many difficulties along the way. The good times are transient. They're temporary. They're seasons. So enjoy every joy. Celebrate every accomplishment. Celebrate every birthday. Celebrate and enjoy every anniversary. Guys, don't forget your anniversary. That's foolish. I'm not kidding. That's ridiculous. Don't be so self-absorbed that you can't show your wife that you remember the glory of God's blessing upon you when he gave her to you in union to glorify the Lord. Don't forget, don't forget the flowers if you can afford it. You can certainly write something on a piece of paper. You can go pick some flowers in a field somewhere. You can do something if you don't have money. Don't forget your anniversary. Don't forget the birthdays in your life, the people that you love. Celebrate with them. Enjoy life. There's plenty about life that's not enjoyable, but plenty of opportunities to celebrate. Solomon is calling us to this. And so I have to say, God is calling you and he's calling me to enjoy life. What a cosmic killjoy he is. No, not our God. Not the God of the Bible. Not the God who gave me the greatest gift that's ever been given. The gift of his son, my Savior, Jesus Christ. He is no killjoy. Verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Wow. Solomon calls the young to enjoy all of the pure and good joys of life. All of the pure and good joys of life. How do I know he's calling for pure and good joys? Because at the end of the verse, he says, remember this, everything you do, God's going to bring you into judgment. So he's not saying, go have a little sex, go have a little drug, be a glutton, be a wine-bibber, go uh, steal someone else's stuff. He's not saying any of that foolishness. He's not calling us to a life of sin. He's calling us to a life of joy that we can go stand before the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. You bought me. I've been bought with a price. And therefore, I have, by your grace, sought to glorify you with my days, with my hours, and with my minutes. Enjoy the blessings God gives you. Remember that every good thing in your life is not because you are clever and hardworking and wise. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God has given us so many things and He's given them to us for, for good, to do good, to enjoy, and to share. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Listen to what it says. It'll be on the screens. As for the rich in this present age, that qualifies everyone in this room so far as I can understand. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, 
nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Enjoy what God gives you. Don't, don't hoard it, and don't give it all away, and don't think that it's something for, for only for the future. He says He's given us richly all things to enjoy, and they are to do good, so now it's share, and be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What a balanced perspective our God gives us. This is a principle for money. Ready? Spend some. Save some. Share some. Some of us want to save it all. Some of us want to spend it all. And some of us want to give it all away. And that's not the call. It's all three. Spend it. Save it and share it. If you don't enjoy life as you're moving through its various stages, you are wasting the opportunities that God has given to you. Of course, with all these gifts and joys that God calls us to enjoy, with these gifts, the world, the flesh, and the devil seek to distort and to substitute pure joys for tainted pleasures. Because of this fact, Solomon reminds his readers, us, that there will be a day of reckoning. The end of verse 9. Verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Solomon reminds us that there are a limited number of days that we enjoy the benefits of youth. He calls for us to deal with mental and physical anguish. He says, remove vexation from your heart. The word there can mean anger. It can be jealousy provocation. It can be a strife-oriented spirit. It can mean sorrow. So I'd say if we try to take something out of the beginning of verse 10, remove vexation from your heart, I'd say we can make this statement. Don't waste your life envying others, striving with and fighting with others, or wallowing in sorrow. Don't waste your life envying others, striving and fighting with others, or wallowing in sorrow. Then he says, and put away pain from your body. It can be The word evil can be used. And that's what he says in the next verse, actually. Same word. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil, the pain days come, before the the difficulty hits before it really hurts. Put away pain from the body. Seek remedies to your illnesses. Seek remedies to your infirmities. If you can rid your body of preventable pain, you should press toward it. Because there's, for the most part, an inevitable pain that's coming your way in the later years. Invest your life while you can. Verses 1-6. through six. Enjoy your life while you can. Verses 7 through 10. Finally, and we're just going to introduce it. We'll finish it next week. Submit your life while you can.
Submit your life while there's still time. Verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors of the streets are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. As we draw toward the close of this book, we are reminded of the way that life goes and we're called to respond. While you can, remember your Creator. We're going to talk about that next week. Remember your Creator. Evil days will come both from outside problems and the evils of your mind and body breaking down. Days when delights lose their interest. Philip Ryken wrote, Here, Coalesce is calling us to live a God-centered life, making God who made the universe our first and highest priority. In fact, this is the key to all the other things that He has called us to do in this passage. The reason we're able to rejoice in our long years of life or else in our youth and strength is because every day is a gift from our Creator God. The reason we need to walk in holy ways is because our Maker is also our Judge. The best remedy for any pain or vexation is to cast our care upon the God who made us and knows all about us. Everything that the preacher says in this passage assumes and requires the close presence of God. The best time in life to do this is when we're still young enough to give a whole lifetime to God's service. Do not wait until you are so old that you do not have much desire to do anything because life has lost its pleasure. Verse 2 paints a picture of the storm coming. There they are. The sun, the moon, and the stars. And the clouds roll in and you can't see them anymore. It rains and then the clouds roll in again. He's talking about the fact that when you're young, there's space between the storms. But when you're toward the end, the storms just keep rolling in. And there's not a lot of reprieve in between those storms. In verse 3, he talks about the keepers of the house trembling, most likely a reference to shaking arms and hands. The strong men are bent, most likely the Reference to trembling and weakening legs. And then in verse 3, the grinders ceasing because they're few. You know what that's all about. Your teeth are falling out 
and you can't really eat meat the way you used to. The grinders are few. <laughs> and the windows are dimmed. He's talking about failing eyesight. As he gets to verse 4, he talks about the doors being shut and the difficulty of losing your hearing. See, the world closes, closes in on you. It's hard enough to live in pain. It's hard, harder still when someone's trying to talk to you. You don't understand them. And you, and you say, what? What did what, you say? And, and they say, I just said it already. I just said it already. I just said it already. And they keep saying it. Say it a little louder, but more irritated when they say it. It's hard. It's got to be hard. And he talks about one rising up at the sound of a bird. Some of you know what that's like, diminishing sleep. When you, when you wake up with the birds, isn't it nice to hear them sing? At least if you're up. But if you're hard of hearing and you can't really hear them, some of that joy is gone. It's possible that he's referring to that when he says the daughters of the song, daughters of song are brought low. It could either be that, where you can't hear the birds even though they woke you up, or it could be you, you're woken up with the birds, but you try to sing, and you can't, you can't sing because your vocal cords aren't what they once were. He's talking about the difficulties of aging. It's a beautiful picture, though it probably isn't so pleasant to think about for some. It says in verse 5 that they're afraid of what is high and the terrors are in the way. Maybe fear of things being high. You can't reach it. Or even, I've got to get up there somehow. What if I fall? If I fall, what if I can't get up? It's hard. A long journey just seems so laborious. I don't want to go there. It's just, it, takes, it takes too much out of me. And people don't always understand, right? Because we still have our vitality. We don't understand what it's like to be tired like that hindrances associated with age. It says then the, the almond tree blossoms, hair is changing color. <laughs> From whatever your natural hair color is to maybe a little bit of gray to a lot bit gray to silver then to white and then whatever else happens. And he uses this imagery. The grasshopper drags itself. You know what a grasshopper? Bounds, 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 bounds. But as it gets older, in this sense, now it's dragging itself along. And uh, according to Riken, when a grasshopper starts dragging itself along, it's a goner. It's like someone's going to step on it. It's not going to make it. It's difficult. Then he talks about desires failing. You've heard that, right? I just want just to be dead. I just want to be home. I don't want to do this anymore. We have friends in that condition. Right? Just, they're tired. They, they feel, I've lived my life. It's hurts every day. I don't have all the things. Things don't work the way I want them to. Well, Lord, just take me. We have friends like that. Why is all this? It's time. It's time. It's time to go home to God. That's what it says in verse 5b. Desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the moors they're going about the streets before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain and the wheel is broken at the cistern. The dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Life, health, 
and pleasures are transient. Vanity of vanities, verse 8 says the preacher, all is vanity. They come and they go. But the psalmist has something to say. The psalm, we're, we're concluding. And you can still hear. And you can still see. And you still have some of your teeth. While all of these things await, he's calling us to remember our Creator in the days of our youth before the evil days come. Before my soul says there's no pleasure in it. Because the, the, the pleasures can be diminishing as pain increases. The psalmist has something to encourage us. Listen to what he says. You may know, excuse me, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, will you say it with me please? At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in the presence of God is fullness of joy and at His right hand where believers will be, there are pleasures forevermore. Unending pleasures. How, how do we endure all of these difficulties of life by knowing what is to come? How do we ensure that we will experience these pleasures forevermore by turning. Turning from our own pursuits for pleasure. Turning from our own sinful passions. Turning to the Lord Jesus who provides us with this eternal pleasure as He provides us with eternal life. Turn from your sin. Turn to the One who left the pleasures of heaven to lay His life down as a sacrifice to pay for our sin, and to provide us with eternal life. It is in Him that we have pleasures forever. This passage, chapter 11 and 12, it calls us to invest ourselves while there's time. You cannot make up for lost time. You can't make up for lost time. You can't go back and fix your past. The time is now. The time is now to invest the rest of your days in the only thing that is going to endure. I don't know what you did yesterday. I don't know what you did last week last month, or last year. At this point, for the most part, it's irrelevant. Right now, you and I, uh, you and me, we are called to invest ourselves while there's still time. I don't know friend, what you've been struggling with. And I don't know exactly what it is that God wants you to do to invest yourself in seven or eight different ways. But I know He wants you to invest yourself if you're a believer, if you're one of His children. And I think it'd be wise of you right now 
to consider what that is and to decide in this moment before the Lord and with his help that you will not turn back from that investment that he's called you to. Solomon has told us a whole lot. Here as he comes to the conclusion, he's saying, don't waste your life. It will soon be over. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We want you. I pray that you'd turn our eyes toward those things that we need to invest in for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.